Welcome to KC Corner episode 119. We're doing it over Zoom this time. Wow, we are getting fancy, Brooks, you know? Yes. Or, or are, did it take us 119 to finally figure out Zoom? <laughs> you know, we're, we're usually in person, so it, it makes it better. But the few times when you've been traveling, we did it over speakerphone, but audio was an issue. You know, this will sound a whole lot better, hopefully. This will sound a lot better, and we need to sound good. And, it, you know, it's, it's good because I can still see you, Brooks. Yes, exactly. It's like we're in the same room. This is awesome. And I, I didn't make your coffee this morning. How's your coffee? It, it's great. I got it in the office mug, Bears Beats, Battlestar Galactica. You got World's Best Pops mug. World's Best Pops. I just got this from JP and Kyla, who are expecting their first child. So uh, that's awesome. Even before their child comes, I've gotten declared. <laughs> who does this make you think of? Is this a little bit of a Michael Scott here? You yeah, know? that is absolutely a Michael Scott. That's a Michael Scott mug for sure. That's awesome. <laughs> And then we have a we have a special guest coming up later on the show who we can also see. So we'll unveil him here in a little bit too. I cannot cannot wait. I'm really excited. This is going to be a top shelf one. <laughs> well, we can start with this past Sunday with God's Family Values Part Ten. So, how, first off, how many how many more parts do we have left in the? We have two series? Uh, uh, two more parts. Uh, is that right? Uh, I got look at my calendar here. Two, two, actually three. I'm sorry, we have three three more parts. Isn't it good when oh. the pastor doesn't know how many times he's preached? <laughs> and so. Uh, um, but I, I love this one. I mean, this was a little bit different. If we've looked at God's family values and how important it is for us today uh, to know, and first of all, again, as I always try to say, incredibly, we are a part of God's family. What grace God has given us that we could be a part of his family. But with being a part of his family, some responsibilities come our ways, tons of privileges come our ways. And what does God value and how does he reveal his value? So we looked at a little bit like, hey, don't forget God's values are, are revealed in God's word. He shows us in his creation and, and how he works his hand of providence. But, you know, uh, as we see his character revealed, uh, that will reveal to us what he values, what he values we have to value. And Sunday we looked at, Brooks, as you know, two values together. And they, they appear to be a contradiction, an oxymoron. Uh, you have a God who is both just and a God who is merciful. And, and how do you have both? You know, interestingly, I just saw the movie Thor. I thought it was about a C. It wasn't as good as I hoped it would be. But the premise of the movie starts with somebody out in the wilderness, uh, a man out in the wilderness, Christian Bale. He, he does a great job acting. Um, and his daughter is perishing in, in this wilderness. And he is praying to the sun god. He's praying to the gods, pleading for the mercy of his daughter. And... Uh, the daughter passes. And so he has come to the conclusion that gods are not safe. Gods are not good. You know, gods are to be killed and hated. So his goal is, sorry, spoiler, I'm, I guess I'm, uh, anybody wants to see it, um, <laughs> is to kill the gods, including Thor. And so um, that's kind of the backdrop. And you, you listen to that and think, wow, this guy was clearly a religious guy and he was pleading and uh, uh, believing in the gods to do something, but his God didn't show mercy. His God and the way he interpreted mercy. Um, therefore, God couldn't be trusted. And we live in a time where people love the fact that, well, God is merciful and God is loving, but they forget oftentimes that God is just. And there are some of those who love that God is just. Man, let's go get those sinners uh, and forget that God is merciful. Mm -hmm. And so out of those hold together, we see the word says that. But really what I meant to say last week, uh, last Sunday, was we see this, these two attributes of God, we see his justice and mercy perfectly in his son. Um, 
who is the only one who's just, um, the only one who is sinless. And not only that, he's not only just the just, he's the justifier. He's the one who, who makes us uh, righteous by giving us his, imputing to us his righteousness, by shedding his blood to cover and take away our sins. And wow, you know, so that we can be declared not guilty. So what I really tried to say is to look at, uh, at Jesus and look at the cross, because that's the place where we see perfectly God's justice and God's mercy. But the point I wanted to make, and I, I'm, I'll, get, I'll let you say something here in a minute, is that Jesus is judge. And most people don't see that. But we said the Apostles' Creed preparing for communion on Sunday, and we're reminded he's coming back to judge the living and the dead, which 1 Timothy 4.1 tells us, Acts 10 tells us, Scripture tells us, uh, Matthew 25. Uh, so, you know, Jesus saves us from Jesus was a phrase that just rang in my head all week. And um, I, I love that. But now God's mercy, it's our turn. God's mercy and justice are seen through God's people as we do justice, as we love kindness, as we walk humbly with God. So there was a lot there. I, I hope you listen to it. It's, it's a lot to go. I'm sorry to re-preach it. But no worries. And, and that first part where it talks about God revealing his character, you talked about like God's works the incommunicable and the communicable attributes. And it made me think of like a captain of a sports team, whether it's like Derek Jeter or Wayne Gretzky or all these guys where like through God's works, it's through creation, providence, redemption. Like Derek Jeter is an unbelievable player. Wayne Gretzky scores a bunch of goals. The right. incommunicable, like omniscient, omni omnipotent and omnipresent where it's like those intangibles that those leaders have that aura that they have where people want to follow them and then yeah. the communicable attributes like loving knowing and wisdom so when those guys do talk to their teammates you know you listen they have that power in the room and what they say means something so that's what i thought about when revealing their character those type of leaders whether it's in sports or a company or a, a church you know they have those attributes of things that they actually do but also those intangibles of what make them who they are Exactly. And, you know, the, the things that make God, God, are those omnis, right? The mm -hmm. omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, all-powerful, you know, omnipresent. And again, he doesn't share those things. Uh, where Gretzky and Jeter, they, they all are men. I mean, they're all, they all, but there's one who's captain, obviously. Mm -hmm. but, uh, um, but I love the fact he does share things. And, mm -hmm. uh, um, yeah, his attributes are, and they're all perfect. And, and we talked about on Sunday, they all connect together. We have a tendency to take one attribute that we like, that we can understand or that we cherish, and that's the one we focus on. But we got to see that our God is—he's—he's—he's um, he's, he's, he's simple. He's all together, but at the same time, there's this beautiful mosaic of all these attributes that come together. Yeah, that's that was the one other thing, too, of it's not just one thing or like declaring a dictatorship or anything like that. He reveals his character and different attributes that he has um, through all those different things. He's not just one singular uh, entity. Yeah, amen. And he declares his character the way he creates. You know, we see the brilliance of his creation, the power, he speaks it into existence. Um, yeah, and uh, and his works of providence. Uh, good stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what do we have to look forward to this coming week? You know, it's interesting. Look forward to it. It's a really good one. You know, this one where we, I felt like we took a little bit of a turn to the attitude that appeared to be an oxymoron, this contradiction of justice and, and mercy. This week, we're going to see the family value, God's family value of suffering. And who in the world is going to say, how can suffering be a value? You know, um, but Paul will say that there's a fellowship that we have in Christ in suffering, that a God who not only suffers, 
uh, for us and suffers with us and that we find fellowship with him in our suffering. So for Christians, uh, uh, suffering, for humans, suffering is usually something we avoid at all costs. Um, mm -hmm. But we have to see for the Christian, it's actually something that is to be valued because we find Jesus there. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's where we're headed. Unfortunately, you see suffering all throughout the Bible, but also fortunately of like it is part of human nature and we all go through suffering at some point. So knowing that others go through it and that is kind of what brings people closer together and tough times in their lives. You know, it's comforting in the fact that obviously you're not the only person or anyone listening to this is not the only person that has suffered before in their life. Amen. And, you know, misery loves company. Right. And so but at the same time. Um, is it just suffering to get through and it connects us? But, you know, we see that scripture says that suffering has a point and that, that, that he's working something out in us, that there is something that suffering is producing that without suffering we would not have that's of value. Um, but more than that, Brooks, is also that it's, you know, where is God in suffering? So that's, let's go back to four. You know, hey, that God was not there. Uh, I was suffering. He was absent. He didn't intervene. I can't trust and know him. But nothing is like Christianity where a God not only knows and understands suffering, but a God who enters in and a God who suffers for us is, is amazing. So that's, that's hopefully, hopefully I won't dump it up. <laughs> Should be a great week. Yeah, looking forward to it. Would you like to introduce our special guest now? I would. I think that would be fantastic. And then let, let's come back around after this great segment, a couple of our Kings uh, Chapel updates. But okay, what a morning we got. Um, KC Corner World, I'm so excited to introduce to you one of the most godly men that I know, uh, a man that I've known since I was in middle school. Um, so this, this, and by the way, he's older than me. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, um, but he has been in education uh for a very long time and christian education for a very long time uh, i've known him uh as my brother-in-law uh, it's it's the world famous tom arger singer um, tom is an upstate new yorker like me grew up and like me and my sister uh, uh he wound up going to the harvard of the south florida southern uh and uh from there got further education uh degrees from florida state um uh, he worked in the public school uh, realm in uh, Polk County, Florida, Auburndale, I believe, and then uh, had the majority of his career up in uh, the Tallahassee area in a Christian school and uh, also has been a, a head of school in the Bronx. He's been a head of school in his current place in New Jersey. So God has sent him into the desert. <laughs> no, no, just kidding. Kidding, Tom. We love you. Uh, I lived in Jersey for a while. Welcome to Casey Corner. Tom Argersinger, and before you say a word, let me just say, I think in Christian ministry, one of the hardest callings is to be a head of a Christian school, one of the greatest callings, and that is what this man is. So welcome, Tom. Glad to be here, Jeff. Thanks so much for inviting me. Oh, that was, and thank you for not only being here, but thank you for what you do, Tom. I mean, what, what, a, what a calling God has on your life. So I want to start off by saying, here you are in Christian education, and and by the way, how many years have you been involved in Christian education? Oh, my gosh. Many moons have crossed the sky. I mean, my goodness, it must be um, is it 35, 30, maybe, something 30, like that. Oh, my goodness. That's absolutely incredible. But, you know, one of the things that I, I see is, 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 is I'm preaching through a sermon series right now on God's family values, I'm trying to really uh, 
drive home the importance for God's people of a worldview. I mean, this is all, all these values kind of connect under a Christian worldview. The, the lens for which we understand and see the world, understand ourselves. So how important to you is that Christian worldview when it comes to Christian education? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think it's a, that concept is something that's really misunderstood in our society, even among Christians. Uh, we don't really know what that means exactly, but you hit the nail on the head, Jeff. It really is just that way of seeing everything, not just not just work or not just family, but really all of life through that biblical lens. In other words, basically, it means living as if you are a part of the kingdom and you're not just a part of the world. And so I think that's crucial. It's always been crucial. And I think Christian education has always been very important. But I, I like to say now that it, never more than now or now more than ever, because the ideas, the marketplace of ideas in our culture has gotten pretty unusual. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, got, it's gotten the meta narratives that are out there and that people are really building their lives on are really kind of a house of cards in a lot of ways. It's that, it's that uh, you know, shifting sand that the Bible talks about and not the rock. And so I would say that it's more important than ever. You know, I would agree with you, Tom. And again, I think that it seems like uh, uh, the importance of the Christian worldview when you view the world today, uh, it seems like you, you, talk, you use the phrase, I love the better narrative, which is like, for those of you who don't are familiar with that term, it's like the overarching story. You know, what, what is the larger story in which this context fits in? But, you know, you think about how polarizing our time is and how, you know, uh, it, it doesn't seem like even dialogue seems to be happening in, in many cases. There's just angry shouting back and forth of different ideologies or, or, or stances. But, you know, you, you said a phrase, Tom, that's really important, that when you came to Worldview, you said, it's like living as if you're a part of the kingdom. Um, and, I, and it really intrigued me to have you say it that way, because I think that most Christians feel exactly to what you said in that sense, living as if you're part of the kingdom, as if I really am. But, you know, the kingdom is supposed to be the most important thing to us when it comes to how we're to live. I mean, you're like, seek ye first the kingdom of God. I mean, it is the pearl of great price that we're to be willing to get rid of everything else to make sure that we do this. It's the kingdom of God that we are to pray for. Pray thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Have you seen that it's uh, hard for Christians to understand that it's not just as if you're living in the kingdom, but you really are a part of that kingdom? Yeah, I think it's hard. I think it's hard for many reasons. I think a couple come to mind. One, I'm not sure that just the concept of kingdom is clear to a lot of Christians today. And if they do see it, especially as I lived and worked in New York City, a lot of that sense of kingdom is really very negative because it comes across as, you know, could, could gonna come across as colonial even, or just, you know, it's like kingdom, which it just kind of infers or implies, you know, uh, violence almost. And so for some people, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. No, 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 wait, wait. We don't wanna talk about something that sounds like a basilica or kingdom or anything like that. So I think that's part of the problem. I think the other part of the problem is, and we talk about this a lot in, in theology and philosophy classes, is the reality is that we didn't get here by accident. We're here because of a stream of thought that brought us to this place. Uh, and one of the things we talk about is this idea that 
there are three main style of questions. Who decides who pays and who's responsible? And how you answer those questions, among many others, define a lot about your worldview. And so for many people today, and including some Christians, the, the answer to the question, who decides, is either me, we, or others, the way we talk about it. It's either me, I decide, or we, my tribe, my group, my family, my church, whatever it is, or it's something else. And I believe as biblical Christians that something else is supposed to be the word of God. And it's supposed to be the community that comes around that and interprets that word and applies that word in their daily life. So I think that that, that sequence of that philosophical thought that got us to who decides me, I think that has created a real problem uh, in the end because we're not very reliable people when it comes right down to it. We're just not because we're, we're sinful. We mess up. And so we're not reliable. Wow, that is that is so good. I, I preached last week, Tom, uh, two weeks ago, on authority and especially the authority of God's word. And as Americans, we really uh, are very skeptical of authority. That's why the kingdom whole thing collides. I love the state of uh, Virginia's flag. I've preached on this. Um, I, I've used this as an illustration in my preaching. The, the state of Virginia flag has a king that's knocked off the uh, his throne, the crown's off, and you have a woman uh, with a sword over him. And it says in Latin, thus to all tyrants, which is the phrase that uh, Booth uh, used when he, after he killed Lincoln, which is kind of interesting. But hey, don't have us have a king because you have a king and they're a tyrant. Um, anybody who tells us what to do is a tyrant. They're taking away our liberties, our rights, our freedoms, which we love as Americans. We want to have the authority to decide. We want somebody else to pay. Um, and then, you know, we certainly don't take responsibility. It seems like right. we really... Uh, emphasize that that we decide so much so um so tell me I'm, I'm gonna that was really interesting i'm gonna pivot a bit a bit here what is the overarching what's the meta-narrative let me use that what's the meta-narrative overarching desire as an administrator a goal for uh christian education in this this today i mean i mean i know you got to get kids uh, into college and i know that you know, it's going to be important for parents, for the kids to have a social experience and a sporting experience. But as an administrator, what do you think the overarching goal or, or, or would be for a Christian school? Yes, that's a really great question, Jeff. Um, I don't think the goal has changed a whole lot, but I will say that the, the education is one of the most disrupted sectors, I think, in our country. I've been reading a lot of articles lately that are really pointing to this and the fact that um, kids are just in a very different place than they were four years ago or three years ago. A lot of that has to do with COVID. And then, but we were already seeing that actually pre-COVID. All COVID did, which it did with a lot of things, is accelerate it tremendously. Uh, so I would say that the goal of Christian school, I think in general, is in one sentence to say, well, to get kids to see the world through the eyes of Christ. Yeah. So that's one way to say it. A little bit more uh, depth to that would be to say that we want kids to be able to, young people to be able to answer the call of God whenever it comes, wherever it leads, and whatever it costs. And in doing that, you have to be a person that has faith, strong faith. You have to be a person that's fit in various ways. And you have to have a tremendous amount of fortitude. So faith and fitness and fortitude. 
and because in order to do that in our society, in order to answer that kind of a call, then you have to realize that sometimes, a lot of times, we can stand together as Christians and answer that call. But there are some times when you have to stand alone. Wow. And in yeah. order, you have to have fortitude, you have to have faith, you have to have fitness in order to do that. And I think that's what Christian education is trying to come alongside the church and the home and really help that actually happen. You know, that fortitude and that faith, it just doesn't, it's not like you swallow a pill and that happens, you know? Right. It takes some time and the Holy Spirit working in your life and growing grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because you don't immediately see the world through the eyes of Christ. You become a Christian, go to a Christian school. It's not like literally you put on a new set of glasses and everything all of a sudden changes. It seems like, you know, it's like, um, that eye exam, is it clear now, clear now, you keep clicking the lenses for them to get in there. Because I love what you said, Tom, I'm not gonna be able to repeat it the way you said it, but we'd be ready for the call of God, you know, kind of like whenever it comes, wherever it leads and whatever it costs. Um, you, you, you cannot be ready for that call of God unless you already have those glasses on, I mean, the world you on, unless you already see the world through Christ, um, um, through the gospel. And that's just so hard. And then that faith and fortitude. So, you know, and I know that in a Christian school, people, kids are in different places and different, you know, in their in their sanctification and their growth process. So, wow, what an audacious goal. And I love the goal. And I, and I love the fact that you said it doesn't change much. And I hope it never does. But let me, again, pivot and say, if that's the goal, how do you see, what, why do families choose Christian school at uh, your point? Because, you know, I was a pastor for a long time that had a Christian school and, uh, I, one story haunts me, and I didn't know the story while I was with that ministry. It wasn't until afterwards I heard the story, but uh, it was uh, a, a parent interacting with a teacher, and uh, an English teacher in high school. And she came in, and uh, this parent said to the teacher, um, what in the cuss word does Christianity have to do with English? And um, the teacher threw the parent out, saying, I wouldn't let you your student talked to me that way. I'm not going to let you talk to me that way. But, you know, if you have a parent that, and this is, by the way, this is a Christian school that is what's called a covenant model, um, where you're supposed to be partnering with Christian parents. It's not an outreach. So you should be on the same team, in other words. Uh, and yet to have a parent uh, cuss out a teacher because she's trying to bring a Christian worldview into English class. Hello. Um, so... I'm going to use that as a, as a loaded uh, intro into what do, you, what do you see where Christian uh, or, or families are looking for when it comes to Christian education? Man, you really are trying to get me in trouble today, aren't you? Okay, I got it. My um, brother-in-law is supposed to. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's varied. I think there are as many, if you get 20 Christian parents in a room, you're going to find there's different levels of answers. Pretty much all of them are going to say that our believers are going to say, well, I think Christian education is important and having the Bible in classrooms and, and having a Christian worldview is very important. Most people very quickly move, though, from that to the next level, which is, well, my kid has this particular ability, this particular pension, this particular gift or talent or whatever it might be. So the real question is, how can you serve that? How can you serve that individual, unique, 
talent. That has changed over the years quite a bit, I would say. This is just my perspective, but it's changed quite a bit. You get a lot of conversations around the individuality. And again, it goes back to that, well, we didn't talk about, but the hyper-individualism in our society. I mean, that, that flows through everything. And so uh, you, do, you do still have a minority of families, in my experience, uh, that are willing to sacrifice, which Christian education is a sacrifice financially for folks, for most folks. But they're willing to do that because for them, they understand that kingdom is everything and that Jesus is everything. Uh, and he's worth that kind of sacrifice. Some folks are still on that journey. They're still trying to figure that out. And they're saying, well, really, the main thing is, do you have a wrestling team? Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. really, the, yeah. that's really the thing that it, matters the most. And you know I, what? I've got I've had four kids and I get it. Like, you, you do want to be able to serve your kid in that way, your young person in that way, your child in that way. Well, you know, it's interesting. By the way, great answer as far as I think you were uh, wonderfully uh, insightful as well as being uh, politically correct. And that's the wrong question. <laughs> uh, you, did a, you did a nice job there. Um, uh, you know, and, and it's, it's, uh, uh, it, it intrigues me exactly what you say. By the way, not only do you have a wrestling team, but are they competitive? You know, I mean, right. are they competitive? So, uh, When's the last time they won the state championship? Exactly. Let's go. <laughs> How many state champions do you have? But you, you, you said earlier, we are in a culture that needs to wrestle with who decides. And then you just, in explaining to us how families choose uh, Christian education, said something very interesting. You said, how can the school serve the giftedness of my child? I think that that should be somewhere in the discussion, mm -hmm. but I don't think you start the discussion. And because what that does, it puts the child and their giftedness at the pinnacle of the goal. I mean, I think, way before serving the child's gift is for the child to understand that his gift is given by God through that lens and then given to be used to honor God, to, right. to bless his neighbor. And it's not just to get him a scholarship on the wrestling. And so I think who decides what the values are in a Christian school, um, really that seems to be a collision sometimes. Of, of, you know, I, I noticed that a lot of, uh, I'll say it because uh, uh, I don't have a Christian school in my current ministry. Uh, a lot of the families I saw, they, they wanted a Christian education. They wanted smaller classrooms. Um, they wanted a, a certain specific wrestling sports team. Um, they, they wanted to avoid a public school. Um, it wasn't so much that over meta narrative Christian worldview story. Um, it seemed to. And it was always, it's interesting to be a part of something that you're trying to sell something you're trying to market, something you're trying to promote, I uh, probably should have said that for sell. Um, when people are buying your product, embracing your product, investing in your product for secondary reasons. And that's, that's, a, uh, that's not an easy thing. And I, I would love to see somehow through the families and the churches and Christian school for the temperature to rise with a Christian worldview. Um, for there to be a greater understanding of urgency um, and some of the secondary issues become truly secondary. But mm -hmm. sorry, that's, uh, I, I didn't realize I'd get on my high horse there, but I did, sorry about that. So. No, it's, you would hope that that's true. And, I, and again, I wanna be fair because for some people it is that way. I tell you what has pushed a lot of people there has been the, the change in some of the, the narratives in some of the public schools and many of the public schools, even where we are, 
in more a more rural version of uh, area of New Jersey. Um, and those meta narratives that are being taught um, there in the public schools now is really pushing more parents to go, well, okay, hold on. This is not the public school that I went to when I was a kid. Yeah. It's different now. And it, and it is in many ways, in most places, it is very different. You know, it's interesting because even as the news no longer seems to be the news, it seems to be a slant from whatever side you want to get your information from. Uh, it seems like education is no longer education. It seems to be agenda driven that, you know, this is, let's take a, a, a liberal agenda and make sure that it's embraced. Uh, and so I could see that that's going to have an impact um, on Christian education. You know, uh, so are you, are there unique challenges today uh, because of that? Uh, or is it actually helping you? Is it something that helps Christian education? Because the dichotomy between the public school and the Christian school is widening um, where it might be easier to justify the expense. Yeah, I think it's both. I, I think it is a tremendous opportunity that Christian education has right now. Probably in some certain ways, a greater opportunity than we've ever had in the, in the whole movement of Christian education because of what you just said, Jeff. I mean, we really do. The difference is more stark. It's not subtle anymore, uh, you know, and so I think that's a big, a big part of it. At the same time, it's become much more of a challenge, at least as individual educators, because uh, as a psychologist named Shirley Turkle has recently said, Kids nowadays, that, that generation that are currently in high school are, quote, forever elsewhere. Yeah. And I think wow. that's a, yeah, that's a really powerful quote. Wow. And that's really, really true. Um, the attention, uh, I just read an article recently in, from Education Next uh, that the whole idea of the brain having neuroplasticity and being able to be rewired, et cetera, that's exactly what cell phone and personal digital technology usage is doing and has done. Yeah. Literally has rewired the brain of so many people, including a lot of young people, uh, average right. high school student, eight and a half hours uh, a day interacting wow. with a screen. So I think those changes, not the only one, it's an easy one to pick on, but it is a big deal. I mean, it just has changed literally how the it's changing how the whole um enterprise of education works wow that's really interesting tom and let me let me say that uh it makes me think you know culturally we're in such a uh, a battle with things that seem to be benign like a, a phone a cell phone or whatever to you know um the, the the values of the world creeping in and pushing into the church and everywhere else it makes me think and again this is just a comment i'll make you don't have to comment on it but um boy our christian schools that teach uh, that teach education, um, you know, or, you know, um, how, how do our teachers have a big Christian worldview? How, how does their meta narrative really um, right. be shaped? And before they come to you, Tom, I mean, I know you're going to shape how much they get there, but, you know, that that's an urgency. Um, you know, my, my daughter's an educator. Uh, she starts today with her students in fifth grade. She's in a Title I, which means a poor uh, school here in the Orlando area, public school. Uh, went to a Christian school, um, got educated in Christian school, and by God's grace, vehemently holds on to a Christian worldview. But, um, you know, how do we make sure that our teachers have that, which would be important? So, yeah, um, it's very, very difficult simply because of what we said, and you're right, when they come to us, 
sometimes they really, really struggle to see that bigger. And let's face it, it's more abstract in a lot of ways, uh, no matter how hard you make it concrete. And we tend to be concrete people, especially in America today. What, Tom, what do you think of a church like King's Chapel, uh, a fairly uh, new church plant, um, a church of about 100 members, a uh, smaller church uh, in scale um, to, to some, how do we help um, how do we help this Christian education um, uh, situation? I mean, we don't mm -hmm. have a Christian school. We don't, we don't have a preschool right now. We're not big enough there. Um, and again, I, I, I'm asking you this question completely uh, out of left field, but, you know, any ideas of how we can help uh, in this area as a small church? Yeah, that's great. Um, boy, there's lots of ways, but a couple come to mind. I want, I want to stay concrete with it. So one of the things that comes to mind is for Christian school administrators, it can be a very isolating ministry. Um, it doesn't have quite the same, at least in many places, it doesn't have quite the same camaraderie as say pastors do. Yeah. So I think including Christian school administrators in things like prayer breakfasts and uh, when people get, when lead, Christian leaders get together in the community, that's actually a really concrete and relatively straightforward thing that would be really helpful to them and kind of help with some of that, a little bit of that marginalization. A lot of Christian school educators have kind of a little bit of an inferiority complex because you're not really, you're not a pastor and you're not a school administrator, you're kind of sort of both sort of, but you maybe don't have an MDiv or whatever. So the point is you're kind of in this weird limbo place and it, it's a little bit odd sometimes. It can actually, and pastoring is a very lonely profession. It can be as you, you can certainly attest Jeff, but I think it's even a little bit less understood maybe is the way to say it for Christian Really well said, Tom. Because you know, I, I I've been to several events where pastors are invited, and you know, do we invite the Christian school administrators? I mean, you talk about being at the tip of the spear. I mean, why not mm -hmm. have them there? Uh, that, that's a great point. You know, mm -hmm. one of the things uh, that I haven't mentioned to the elders yet, but that I would love to us consider too is maybe scholarship and uh, helping mm -hmm. helping families pay for. Christian oh, that's huge. If we feel like it's important that, that they send their kids, you know, to do something that could help kids to, to help them with that, if yeah. you really believe in it. So, uh, anyway. that's, that's a great idea. Um, well, Thomas Keith Argersinger, um, you are the man. Uh, you are the Christian education for Tip of the Spear. You are at that very point. To be, uh, that, that really, thank you for being right there. And, uh, you know, one of the most difficult things, and everybody out in KC Cornerland. You know, when it comes, pray, pray for folks like Tom, because the battle is not just uh, against flesh and blood. You know, the battle is, it is a, a battle um, with ideology. It's a, a battle right now with um, what the world thinks, but it's also a battle a bit with where your families are, getting them all on the same page. It's a battle often with boards and, you know, trustees and churches it's a battle sometimes with teachers and it's a battle with values and so you know to try to to try to uh find that and i'm going to use the word balance to find to find to be able to move forward when there's so many headwinds against you around you behind you um hard to maintain the course and so god bless you tom maintain the course 
keep your eyes switched on Jesus, uh, you know, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And uh, thank you for being the one who's at the tip of your spirit. Well, I wanted to say to you, Def, thank you for that. But I wanted to say thank you because you've been a champion of Christian education your whole ministry. And that's not true of a lot of pastors. So thank you for your investment. I mean, literal investment over the years in Christian education, not only with your own kids, but also with, with lead, helping lead a school and, and all that. And so I do want to give a quick shout out before we go uh, to the school I currently serve at, uh, Veritas Christian Academy awesome. in Sparta, New Jersey. Uh, really great school in so many ways. And we're really working hard to apply a lot of these things that we're talking about. Uh, that's uh, blessings to Veritas Truth and uh, blessings to uh, y'all. And by the way, the most important question, how's your wrestling? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, Thomas Keith, it was great having you, my dear brother. Uh, keep the faith. Hey, when did uh, students come back to you? Uh, they actually come back the very beginning of September. So I think it's, I think that we have a, a short day on September 1st before Labor Day. So, uh, yeah, so that's, that's the deal. It's not like Florida where you guys are like already in, what the, what's going on with that, man? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're back. You know, my, I, my wife's an educator. She's in a, a Christian preschool. She's gone today. Uh, my daughter's gone. So they're, they're, they're both, uh, um, you know, uh, they're back. And then in Florida, you know what it's like down here, Tom. I mean, it's so hot in August. You might as well go back to school. Yeah, <laughs> I guess kidding. so. Golly. I love the old days of coming back in September. That's cool. Yep. So, all right. Blessings, brother. Great to see you. And great to see you, too, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Brooksy. What a great episode, huh? Yeah, it's uh, great. It's uh, great. We can wrap up with some KC updates. Yeah, let me just quickly say that, uh, hey, the biggest thing is we have a very important vision dinner coming uh, coming fight here august uh 21st 5 p.m a lot of things we're thinking about for the fall um really need to make sure that everybody in king's chapel world and family um, knows what's happening knows where god is leading us so uh that's going to be the 21st um we're going to relaunch um of some of our ministries right after labor day um it happens to be 9 11 uh is a sunday after uh, labor day so um, there'll be some pretty big changes, some exciting new things. And so come on out, um, which is great. So I think that's the next big thing for us is August 21st. Yep. And a lot of fun things uh, going on this fall that we're excited about. Yeah, we really are. There's a lot of things. We, everybody get plugged in. Uh, it's exciting. So, hey, Brooks, always a pleasure, my, my dear brother and friend. Absolutely. We'll continue on talking about Christian education for the rest of the month and tackling that uh, massive topic. Yeah. You know what? I'm excited. We're going to hopefully next week bring a, a, a church member uh, into uh, the fold that has their kids right now deciding on what, you know, what to do with them with the Christian education. So I'm excited. Absolutely. Well, it was a good week and we'll see you guys Sunday. All right. Blessings, everybody. See you guys.